Bowl season has now come and gone, but don't beat yourself up if you missed it. It's still a great time to get in on the action with my bookie. You missed the 41 record bowl games to bet on, but we still have the national championship game, Jan 7, and that one's going to be a monster. It still is the most wonderful time of the year, and with the NFL playoffs coming up, oh yeah, you're going to want in. Make sure you are ready for the daily action by signing up at MyBookie today. They pay fast when you win. They're all about good customer service, and they have some wild props, which are always fun to bet. Where you bet is as important as who you're betting on, and if you want to make money, you got to go to MyBookie. I've dealt with them all season, but don't take my word for it. Check them out yourself. You'll be satisfied. Join now. My bookie will offer a 50% deposit bonus to make sure you've got a nice bankroll to start 2019. Use promo code ZABE when you deposit to activate the offer. That's promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. At my bookie, you play, you win, and you get paid. <laughs> Maybe I'm just not up with the times, but, but who listens to podcasts? Oh, come on now. The legend of Big Dick Nick continues to grow, and the chapter of the Lonesome Kicker gets another entry. How about them Cowboys, and how about Instant Replay? Are NFL owners openly bragging about betting on their games? And the real outrage of the Antonio Brown story in Pittsburgh. A bonus 45 minutes of me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! Oh, here we go! Monday, January 7, 2019, Wild Card Weekend is in the books, and as usual, we ask the simple question. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Wow. Even though there was two duds, and we only had one thriller, there was an epic backdoor bad beat, a double doink that shall live in infamy, and now the Goliaths await. Chiefs, Rams, Patriots, and Saints. We'll get to that in just a bit. The legend of Big Dick Nick grows, or should I say it engorges? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Instant replay once again shows what a false god it is. There was some brilliant defensive strategy this weekend, some brainless offensive strategy, and I took all four dogs and was a winner 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 so i'm taking all the dogs and i believe i'll go three and one i don't know which three or or which one won't hit i like to favor the better passers i'm going to take the eagles plus the six even though you point out mr x that's kind of a john q public square play an error of recency a buy into the narrative thing now you always tell me that typically i forget which weekend it is wild card or the next weekend in which the favorites cover three out of four. You just don't know which ones. Yeah, that's next week, the bye week. Okay. They usually say throw the points out because they'll all be favored after the bye. And three out of four cover and one loses outright. But, it, <laughs> but he got to figure out which one. So, I don't, so why bother figuring yeah, it out? Just, just play the four. And play, play go three four. and one. Yeah, but not this week. So that was Car's side with Mr. X last week on our Friday podcast. I'm sure you downloaded and listened to it. And yes. I'm going to toot my own horn. You know why? Because when I'm wrong, when I'm as cold as ice, you know nobody's going to toot my horn for me. They're going to be smashing my trombone over my head. So here we go. High stepping. 
the Dallas cover was, uh, or the Seattle cover as the dog was so greasy. Oh man, two and a half. And here's what's rich: Mike Francesa claims he had it at minus one and a half on Sunday morning. I kid you not. You gotta be following Funhouse on Twitter or at back after this. Because this is apparently what Mike Francesa has been doing for years. And he's been getting these point spreads, these lines that nobody else has. And I was sort of scoffed at it like, oh, come on. But here, here it is for you right here. You ready? Okay, here we go. Come on. First game where the Texans are a one-point favorite. In this game, Dallas is a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Whoa, 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 whoa. What the hell did you just say? Whoa, 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 what was that? First game where the Texans are a one-point favorite. In this game, Dallas is a one-and-a-half-point favorite. I went to look it up. I went to Visa, and I was like, let me just see across the board, all the major casinos in Vegas, who had it at one-and-a-half? Answer, nobody. So the whole world was on Seattle minus two-and-a-half at least. I didn't even see any twos out there. I saw a couple of threes. You could have bought, you know, bought it down. You know, you spent extra money to buy it down, but still, nobody had that line. Unbelievable. Back door cover extraordinary. Everything had to work out just for that to be a backdoor cover, <laughs> including Janikowski getting hurt uh, in the attempt at like a ninety-yard field goal, or not ninety yards, but a long field goal. Barstool Sports, of course, employs Stu Finer, the legend, Stu Finer. And he was the inspiration for my Jimmy Masterlock Dugan's character. And I remember seeing him first on that real sports special on HBO 20 years ago now, almost. Stu Finer, they videoed Stu Finer, apparently on the Cowboys minus two and a half, watching the final (laughs) two-point conversion that fucked all of America that had the Cowboys. All right. They'll kick the extra point. Lane two and a half, three, we cover. We cover. I mean, barring them getting the onside kick. Okay. All right, let them kick the field goal. We get the extra. We get the onside. They'll onside kick it. Game over. <laughs> they're, no! going, they're going for two. Because House. Or I mean, not no! House. <laughs> because stupid Dixon. Can only, he kicked the chair away now. He's standing up. Two point conversion coming. Here we go. Buckle up, America. No! Here it comes. Stop them! <laughs> Stop them! As Tony Soprano once said, you should never gamble. The man is a gambler. 
He got over his head in debt. He owed me money and he refused to pay. He avoided me. That's why you oh my God. should never gamble, Anthony. Oh, God. So the Cowboys are through. The Eagles are through. And as a Redskin fan, it fucking burns. I'm not going to lie about that. I did pick the Eagles, and they did do it. And Nick Foles, tell you what, he is going to get paid by somebody this offseason. No, I don't think there's a chance in hell that the Eagles stay with Foles and trade Carson Wentz. No way. I don't think he's better, but there is something about Nick Foles. We don't know what this offense, this team would look like if Carson Wentz had stayed healthy. You can say, oh, he looked like shit before he got hurt. This this season, he's coming off a major knee injury. It's just hard to tell. It's hard to grade Carson Wentz. Teams change over the course of the year. But yeah, some people are going to ride the horse of keep Nick Foles, trade Carson Wentz. Go ahead. That's fine. I won't deny that Nick Foles has something about him. He is, he's sort of like a dopier looking Flacco. He is this big game hunter. He's can't move, big and tall, can really sling it though. Not afraid to throw it in there where it needs to be thrown in there. And the Eagles are, are moving on to the next week. Thanks in part, not in part, thanks of course to Cody Parker, Cody Parkey, the man who hits uprights. That shall forever be his legend and his lore. The man who once hit four uprights in a game, doink, 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 hit another upright early in the year as well, doink. I think this was his sixth upright hit all year. And it is of little solace that some super slow-mo instant replays show a Bears or an Eagles defensive lineman getting a hand on the ball or a fingertip on the ball. It didn't seem to, with the naked eye, move it that much. And it probably should have been over the line entirely. It should have been a chip shot. It should have been as easy as can be. But it's not easy. And he hit the one that didn't count because of the icing timeout. I hate that rule, oh, by the way. But he hit the one that didn't count. Someone asked me, do you think it's better to try that iced field goal or not? Well, I asked Dustin Hopkins, kicker, professional, Washington Redskins, about that very answer. And he said, generally, he likes to kick it because at least it it might give you an idea for how is the wind blowing, how far do I have to carry it. It's a practice shot. That was his general feeling. My feeling is it seems like it's harder to have to make a high-pressure kick twice. So maybe I wouldn't kick the first one. What do I know? Somebody, I'm sure, has done a study of how often icing the kicker works versus how many times does the practice shot miss. Of course, if a guy doesn't take a swing at the practice shot, you don't know if he would have or would not have made it. So I guess there's no way to really know for sure if icing the kicker works, but I'm sure somebody will find a story and they'll email it to me. I do feel sick for Cody Parkey. I don't feel sick for for Nagy or the Bears because fuck them. Why should I care about them? If I'm a Packers sympathizer, then I've got to learn to hate the Bears. 
and the Vikings and the Lions. So yeah, haha, Bears, you lose. But man, do I feel for Cody Parkey, the man who hits uprights. Big Dick Nick Foles. Here we go. On to the next round. Do the Eagles still have some mojo going? Your Saturday games. Colts at the Chiefs, 435. Cowboys at the Rams, 815. I do believe we've dispatched NBC and ESPN from the mix. So this is Fox and CBS the rest of the way on these back-to-back days. Your early lines, and these are not Mike Francesa lines, Kansas City minus 5.5 against the Colts, and the Rams are minus 7 against the Dallas Cowboys. Those are your Saturday lines. Your Sunday lines are the Patriots minus 4 against the Chargers and the Saints minus 9? Yeah, 9 against the Philadelphia Eagles. They, of course, destroyed the Eagles less than a month ago or about a month ago in New Orleans. So that's why that number is so high. Instant replay did not have a great weekend. Let's be perfectly honest. So the bad calls that abounded included the following. Dallas, Seattle, there was a K.J. Wright interference on Noah Brown, tight end. Destroyed him. Gets there way early. Total P.I. Ball pops up. He picks it off. Unreviewable. This is, again, why I'm anti-replay. You can't say, it's not a replay fail. You know that it's not reviewable. Oh, so you're saying you want more replay? No, I'm saying there's no point in having all the other replay if blatant calls like this don't get overturned. Mistakes still happen. It's a case of, well, gee, there's a horribly shitty call that the referees absolutely should have had. Why do we bother stopping the game so often for the tiniest of things when we can't watch this? And I'm not advocating looking at P.I. because, believe me, you would look at P.I.s until the end of time because they're so hard to figure out, well, was he grabbing? Did he grab? Did he not grab? Seahawks got a very dicey call to go against him later in the game that hurt him. So maybe it even out just there. So that was one. Then in the Baltimore-San Diego game, Derek Watt has a touchdown pass in which he catches at the goal line, rolls over, and seemingly clearly has a touchdown. They go to break. They go to review it. It takes, of course, forever. Mean Gene Sterator, my man, comes back, and he's in the booth with his CBS coat on between Nance and Romo and says, I think we're getting getting overturned here. This ball is clearly breaking the plane of the goal line before Watt is touched. And the answer was, no, 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 that's not going to be the case. Because the invisible and infernal and incomprehensible hand of Alberto Riveron, oh, sometimes it just mystifies as to what old Al Riveron is seeing up there in the HQ in New York City. Can we at least be granted the right as those who support this endeavor called the NFL and pay money and watch the damn games? Aren't we allowed, don't we have a right to listen in on exactly what Riveron is saying in the headset to the field crew as to why he's going to overturn, not overturn, uphold, stands, all these different fucking terms they have for it. Don't we have a right to that? You got a right to shit, pal. That's what I thought. Then there was the Anthony Miller catch in the Chicago-Philadelphia game. 
that at first was just ruled incomplete. Garden variety incomplete as defender Cravion or Cravon LeBlanc. C-R-E apostrophe V-O-N LeBlanc. Apparently just broke up the pass. But upon microscopic review, it looks like, ooh, Miller caught it, made three steps, then fumbled, but he fumbled before he hit the ground, but nobody picked up the ball because the referees were emphatic, were emphatic, incomplete. They all blew their whistles. And it looked like a garden variety breakup because it happened so quick. And they... Come back after a long, and of course, Terry McCauley, fresh out of refereeing himself, said this is this ball is going to go back to the Bears at the spot of the fumble because there is no clear recovery by either team. The ball just laid there. Ah, that was wrong too. And that at that point, Al Michaels said to McCauley, they're not just making it up as they go along here. And McCauley said, sure seems that way. Oh, boy. Of course, McCauley actually was wrong in this case because, get this, the NFL has a rule book, which is already way too long and way too dense. They also have a case book on plays. This is akin to the rules of golf, which are also complicated and arcane, but also in the rules of golf, there is a decisions on the rules of golf. So it's a second rule book. There's the rules of golf, and then there are decisions on the rules of golf, such as, well, this happened, and according to this rule, here's what the ruling was, and here's what the USGA stands by. That's how you call it. And in the NFL, there's something similar as well called the casebook of plays. So Mike Pereira says, casebook play 15.114 and 15.115 show that in this particular instance, because it was a catch and a fumble, but not down by contact, but no clear recovery that actually it defaults to a incomplete pass. Which neither McCauley knew, nor Al Michaels or Chris Collinsworth, despite being the best on TV, as the song says. Nobody knew. Nobody knew the rules. People were popping off on Twitter. Bad call, bad call, I can't believe this. This is all what instant replay has wrought. It has brought upon us a hell that is worse than I could have ever imagined it, in which stupid little shit gets reviewed that doesn't need to be, big shit that's wrong doesn't get fixed, other shit that is also wrong can't be reviewed. There'll be clear video evidence and Alberto Riveron is taking a shit or something and he doesn't overturn it. Who knows? It is as all over the place, and to make it worse, it is affecting how guys call the plays on the field. Oh, and then I forgot there was the Melvin Gordon, maybe fumble, going in uh, against the Ravens. That was returned 100 yards for a touchdown. Whistle blew. (laughs) Just like last week, the Ravens benefited from a quick whistle on a Lamar Jackson touchdown plunge in the air. My point is, none of this replay is really making the game any more accurate or any more legitimate or any more correct. It's just adding another layer of mistakes, and it's taking too long, and it's causing too much teeth gnashing along the way. It is still an 
as much as it's ever been, not worth it in any way, shape, or form. If there is one thing I could wish for, aside from world peace and total justice for one and all, is that we would go back to the days in which if a referee threw his fucking hands in the air, that was a touchdown. That's it. The, the refs have spoken. It's a touchdown. Whether it was a great call, bad call, shitty call, who knows what? It's a touchdown. It's all, the, all these games, as heartbreaking as they may be, if you're a Bear fan or whatever, it's just for our entertainment, period. Quick thought on Lamar Jackson, and then you can read my piece at Zabe.com. I think it explains it better. Man, I've never seen something so weird as to what happened at this in the second half of that game where Lamar Jackson is completely ineffective. He's three for twenty-five or three for ten for twenty-five yards, minus seventeen net passing if you count the sacks. They're down twenty-three to three. There's ten minutes left in the game. Romo is saying, I don't know why Flacco's not going in there. Might as well put Flacco in. This is a complete domination. They cannot move the football with Lamar Jackson. But Lamar Jackson stayed in. At this point, I was on Twitter like a lot of people saying, I don't understand. You got a healthy, former Super Bowl winning quarterback. Why would you not put him in just to give him a shot? And I I explained this in my piece on Zabe.com. Ding, free plug. It's because there's so much more riding behind Lamar Jackson. And there's so much more. It, it's, it's more than just, hey, this kid doesn't have it today. Let's try the veteran. There is a push to make Lamar Jackson the next big, next big thing. And I don't quite understand it. I know there's race involved. I know that there is this very sensitive ears amongst some ex-players of anyone saying, he can't pass the ball. What are you, racist, saying he can't? There is a real sensitivity to it because the history is that the NFL had a disgusting racial bias against black quarterbacks. That's a fact. Nobody disputes that. Nobody with a brain. Black quarterbacks were, were guided out of the position time and time again because they were deemed to either not have the leadership skills or uh, not be able to pass the ball. They were more running quarterbacks. Or there was just owners that didn't like the thought of a black man being the face of their franchise as a quarterback. And that happened for years and years and years. But guess what? That war is so done. It's over. I went through all the different quarterbacks we have, either as superstars, budding, soon-to-be superstars, even black clipboard holders, where you know, once upon a time, being a backup on an NFL sideline, that was a cushy job, holding a clipboard, wearing a baseball cap for some old white dude. This war is over. We don't have to push Lamar Jackson. We don't have to coddle Lamar Jackson. We don't have to make excuses for Lamar Jackson. Grade him on his own merits, for God's sakes. And when he stinks, say he stinks. They suck with him right now. And say, you might as well put Flacco in because... He can't do any worse. Now, of course, Lamar Jackson came back to put some lipstick on the pig of the box score and made some plays, which were nice, and made some big plays, and the Chargers kind of went into a bit of a prevent, but whatever. It just stunned me that there was this violent reaction. Uh, he got him there. How dare you? And you know, Oh, my God, they were booing Lamar Jackson. Hey, people get booed in the NFL. It's This is not some giant racial issue or at least it shouldn't be 
This should have been the easiest, shortest, most bitter little conversation that John Harbaugh would have had with Lamar Jackson saying, kid, you gave it your all. It's not your day. Tough spot here in the playoffs. I get it. A lot of better days ahead. We're going to put the old war horse in, just see if we can't catch a miracle, all right? You're done. Bing, bang, boom. I dare say that any other rookie quarterback, no matter who it was, white, black, green, whatever, that had, even if they had surged their team to the playoffs like Jackson did, undeniably, if they sucked that bad, they would have been hooked. There is something about, we. oh, oh you can't replace them. The logic behind it was so done. Well, it'd be awkward next year, or there'd be tough questions, or you'd hurt his confidence, or what happens if Flacco does pull off a miracle? What you gonna do next week? Uh, be alive in the playoffs? Is this a trick question? Figure out next week. Next week, give it a shot. Flacco probably would have sucked, probably, but the one way for sure to never know the answer: don't put him in, and that's what we had. You want to read more about this? I wrote about it at Zabe. Bowl season has now come and gone, but don't beat yourself up if you missed it. It's still a great time to get in on the action with my bookie. You missed the 41 record bowl games to bet on, but we still have the national championship game, Jan 7, and that one's going to be a monster. It still is the most wonderful time of the year, and with the NFL playoffs coming up, oh yeah, you're going to want in. Make sure you are ready for the daily action by signing up at MyBookie today. They pay fast when you win. They're all about good customer service, and they have some wild props, which are always fun to bet. Where you bet is as important as who you're betting on. And if you want to make money, you got to go to MyBookie. I've dealt with them all season, but don't take my word for it. Check them out yourself. You'll be satisfied. Join now. MyBookie will offer a 50% deposit bonus to make sure you've got a nice bankroll to start 2019. Use promo code ZABE when you deposit to activate the offer. That's promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha Bravo Echo. At my bookie, you play, you win, and you get paid. So the stinking Dallas Cowboys are through to the second weekend of the NFL playoffs. It's only the third playoff win since the Super Bowls for Jarrah and the Cowboys, but it is a playoff win, and there's something to be said for that. When people use benchmarks about how certain franchises have not had any success over the past number of years, they start with winning seasons, then you start with playoff appearances, then the next one is, have you won a playoff game? And sometimes they'll use it against the like The Cowboys were once a bye team, and so they played into the second weekend. It didn't mean they won a playoff game. It just meant they had a bye. And I believe Tony Romo went to uh, Cabo, and you know the rest is rest. You know the rest is history. That said, it's frustrating that the Redskins' last appearance in the second weekend of the NFL playoffs was 2005. Or, as I tweeted on Saturday night, the iPhone was still 18 months from being invented which some people said... What the hell did you just say? So why didn't you just say 2005, you dim, dimwit? I was trying to be cute. Excuse me. Other people said, yes, and then you returned that iPhone. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, for the record, I am still rocking my white iPhone, and I am learning to love the white. Every time I look at the white and go, mm-hmm. wish this was a black eye. I got to stop myself. 
I like the white. It's just fine. Look sharp on me. Nobody's looking at me like I'm driving a white cabriolet laughing going, <laughs> he's driving a girl car. He's got a girl phone. Look at the white on that phone. The Redskins are so far away, it feels like, as a fan, so far away from any of the teams that we saw over the weekend in the wild card round. It just feels that way. And one thing that crossed my mind is now the offseason is settling in and I'm listening to post-ops and black box reports and uh, here's what happened to the season. A lot of the recaps of the Redskins season all begin with the stupid phrase, they were 6-3 and three before Alex Smith got hurt. And it keeps ringing in my head. And the reason that it's stupid, I say, is because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that they were 6-3. and three. That's over. What matters is Alex Smith did break his leg. He did suffer several serious infections. Reports are he almost had to have it amputated. And he was in the hospital for well over a month, which was at least three weeks too long, if not more. And that his return to playing football is in serious doubt. It doesn't matter that you were 6-3 and three or that it was, they're playing pretty good football with him and oh, woe is us. The reality is your plan, which we don't know how they would have played down the stretch with Alex Smith. They were getting beaten soundly by the better teams with Alex Smith in there. And they were getting blown out, whether it was the Saints or the Falcons blew them out, didn't even make the playoffs. Houston was handling pretty pretty easily before Alex Smith went down. My point is, it doesn't matter that they were 6-3 and three or that it was working. The, the Redskins have to face the reality of where are they now. And they are right now staring at no quarterback for next year, no av- av- availability to go up and get a guy. There's no really sexy, franchise-caliber guys in this year's draft, according to most experts. The two best ones on the horizon, Tua and Trevor Lawrence, are several years away. And you're going to have to eat a huge cap hit on Alex Smith if he can't play football again. Everything for next year screams, tank it. Absolutely drive it into the ditch. Maybe they're, avail- Maybe they're able to do that. Maybe Dan Snyder can stomach doing that. I don't think that's the case. But the larger point is, yeah, you were doing okay at 6-3 and three with Alex Smith. But you wouldn't have had a running back except for Adrian Peterson falling into your lap. And, you know, uh, Doug Williams insisting you give him a tryout. You were going to tell him to go pound sand and take it on down the road. Imagine how the season would have gone then. Your wideouts are straight garbage. Redskin wideouts combined for, I think, slightly fewer yards than whoever was the leading receiver in the NFL this year or something to that effect. It's a staggering stat. Less than 1,600 yards total in aggregate for eight different wide receivers for the Redskins. They didn't have a 600-yard receiver. And they've got other issues as well. So the bottom line is it doesn't matter what was going on before all the injuries hit or before Alex Smith went down you got to deal and focus with, here's where we are now. And where they are now is screwed. Now back to the Cowboys. The Cowboys have a team that has some very attractive young components to it. And the addition of Amari Cooper has been a home run. Dak Prescott, 
he made plays to win that game. He is not very good. But as somebody put it on Twitter, he's like Sabaro Pizza. The pizza always looks better when you're staring at it through the glass. It's never as good when you finally eat it. And it's going to be overpriced because you're probably at the airport and there's nothing else open and you're starving on a layover. You're going to buy the Sabaro. I like that analogy. I would say Dak Prescott is probably the Sabaro pizza. But there is no way now they're getting out of the Dak Prescott business. And there is no way that Dak Prescott is not going to make more than $20 million a year because that's the going rate for quarterbacks. But the larger point is the Cowboys have an attractive young team with some young studs at certain places that are, especially on defense with the Wolf Hunter, or the, the, the Wolf Hunter, did I get the right? Uh, Leighton Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith. Amazing to watch. Go run back and forth and erase plays. I hate it, but it's amazing. If they can get Travis Frederick back from his illness, that'll bolster the offensive line. Zeke is a douchebag, but he's good. And Cooper was a great addition. My point is, as I'm watching the game, is Jesus. This is a team that people like to watch. And it's got some bright future to it. And they're in a building... Jerry World, that people want to go to. And it is a spectacular building, I must say. And I look at my team, and they got an owner. More importantly, an owner who is accountable and present and talks and knows enough about football. He has known enough in the past about football to be dead wrong and dangerously misinformed and impulsive about running the team. But it seems like Jerry has now ceded enough control to either his son, Stephen, or the football people, to make smarter decisions. I ask any Redskin fan, you're telling me you wouldn't trade Jerry Jones in a nuclear minute. What's a nuclear minute? I just made it up. Why don't you just go with a second? Shut up. Tell me you wouldn't trade Jerry Jones for Dan Snyder right now. You know you would. I would. Are you kidding me? I would even trade a first-round pick. No, wait a minute. Multiple first-round picks to get out of the Dan Snyder business and to get Jerry Jones as our owner. If that sounds blasphemous, and I know it did to my boy one account who didn't like what I was texting him on Saturday night. If it sounds blasphemous to admire the Cowboys building, state-of-the-art where people love to come and watch games, even though it's expensive as shit, and it's probably overbuilt. Even if Jerry Jones is dangerously wrong and impulsive and way too hands-on, tell me you as a Redskin fan couldn't watch that going, God damn it, so pissed off right now. It is so utterly demoralizing. And yeah, that was a very pro cowboy crowd. Granted, the Seahawks eh, probably don't travel that well as a fan base, uh, but it was... It was something. I just I watched the game and I thought, when are we going to have one of these? When are we going to have a team that's exciting enough and resilient and actually got better during the year? Remember, Troy said after their loss to the Titans, blow it up. Total, oh, cl- did he say clearinghouse? Total rebuild, I think was his words. And somehow the team got better. Team got better, got resilient, figured it out. And there they were, playing at home in front of a packed house, loud, full of fans, 
happily wearing the jerseys with an owner who has, I'm sure the fan base in Dallas has been pissed off badly at Jerry Jones over the years. Tell me that he has hated like Dan Snyder. There's no way. There is no way. The play calling for the Seahawks was an abomination. This was pointed out by any number of people that realized, hey, uh, Dallas's run defense really good. I know your game, Seattle, is to pound it. Pound it down the throats of everybody and anybody. That's what you've done all year. But guess what? Tonight, it's not working. Not at all. You got Russell Wilson. He doesn't suck. I know typically you like to keep him under 30 attempts, but maybe you should try passing. Of course, it wasn't until they were down significantly at the end in which they started passing, and lo and behold, they hit some big plays. Because Baldwin and Lockett are totally underrated, undersized sons of bitches. God dang, do they catch passes. Amazing patches, passes. Passes you go, he couldn't have caught that. Oh, well, there it is. Caught it. Amazing. Brian Schottenheimer is the OC for the Seahawks, and he was getting roasted on Twitter, and rightfully so. And as somebody pointed out, if you go back to all the Brian Schottenheimer offenses, and he has been in the NFL for like 12-plus years, he's never had an offense that was in the top 10. Or if he did, it was like once. It's it's part of the NFL's untalked-about nepotism issue, which is really, really disgusting if you think about it. is his, If his name was Brian Schlostein, he would have been run out of the league years ago. But he's a Schottenheimer. And he's Marty's kid. Marty, frankly. It's like once you get into the NFL system, the fraternity, and especially if you are a kid of one of the coaches, oh yeah. You got to do a lot to get drummed out of the NFL. You have to be David Shula bad to get run completely out of the NFL and to go run restaurants, which I think he was running Shula's Steakhouses. Shula's good steakhouse. Not as good as DC Prime. Ding, ding, ding. Free plug. But yeah, they probably should have thrown the ball a bit more when they realized we're not running tonight on Dallas and we do have Russell Wilson, so let's take our chances on that. The Antonio Brown situation is getting even juicier in Pittsburgh. And here's what Here's what kills me. Earlier in the week, Antonio Brown basically went AWOL on Mike Tomlin and the Steelers, and it was never reported as such. Oh, they said that he had a knee issue. He had discomfort in his knee, and they sent him to go get an MRI. This is what Tomlin said during his press conference last Wednesday, or or actually, yeah, I think it was Wednesday. So on Wednesday of that week, before the Bengals game, Brown says, my knee is sore. Team says, or Tomlin says, as he often does with veteran players, have the day off. Then on Thursday, Brown says, my knee is still sore. So they send him to get an MRI. And that was why Brown was listed as questionable, according to Tomlin, uh, ahead of the Week 17 game against the Bengals. But Tomlin said he couldn't get in touch with Brown on Friday evening or on Saturday when Brown was a no-show for the walkthrough at practice. At that point, he said it became something altogether different. 
On Sunday morning, Brown's agent, Drew Rosenhaus, called Tomlin to say, uh, yeah, my guy's feeling better. He's ready to play. Tomlin said he told Drew Rosenhaus, uh, next question, just kidding. He said, it doesn't work like that. And that while Brown was was not going to suit up, he did want to meet with the receiver prior to the game. And that was the last time the coach had spoken to the player. Here's what kills me. First of all, I think the Steelers were lying about what was really going on. And that's something as the betting public, remember, I keep coming back to the NFL and these other leagues are going to want integrity fees, you know, so the gambling's on the up and up. I think we'd want to know if Antonio Brown's happy, but his knee's a little sore and he's working through it, or if he got into a fight with Big Ben and said, fuck you, man, I'm out of here. That'd be a little bit different, don't you think? Here's the other part of the story that absolutely slays me. Which one of our high-priced NFL reporters had the story that this thing was going down, that he was incommunicado with the head coach, that Big Ben had got into it with him at practice? Oh, did, did Glazer have it? Oh, I didn't see that. Did Mort have that story? Did Adam Schefter have that story? Well, you know, Zay, they can't get every story that's out there. My point is, on the biggest of stories, these guys never have it. They never have it. It's almost like, and good for them for having these cushy, big, high-paying jobs that I wish I had. And I don't doubt that they work hard to dig and to get you know information. And they break scoops every now and then. All I'm saying is, what good are all the King's reporters and all the King's insiders and all the King's information men who supposedly sleep with one hand on their cell phone. What good are they if they can't find the story that, yeah, there was a huge fight in practice on Wednesday, and then Antonio Brown went missing for two days. Kind of like to know about that before the game goes off on Sunday. Well, now this was a weird one. Deshaun Watson got blasted by Steve Smith, checks notes, about celebrating too much while trying to rally a comeback against the Colts on Saturday. Here was one of the former premier preeminent trash talkers in a generation in the NFL, Steve Smith, on the set of NFL Network after the Texans had been dispatched by the Colts. Watching a guy get a first down and and, and, and signaling a first down when you're getting beat 21 donut, bro, put the ball down. Get your ass back in the huddle and, and get your guys down the field. Quit signaling the first down. Like, you're on their sideline first. Bro, it's 21 donuts. Oh, you got yourself a montage, I see. Yeah, I, yes. I, they, oh, first down. Oh, no. 21-0. 21-0. And all these plays, guess what? Check down Charlie. Well, that's I knew it. Oh, Check no. Check down Charlie. And as a wide receiver, I hate seeing you do all that and some people will go watch and say, oh, Steve, you did that. Yeah, I did. But when we was getting our ass whooped, put the ball down, get back in the huddle, let's go back to work. Don't give me a first down signal when you can't throw the ball past 20 yards and complete it. And when you did, you give it to the other team. That's where the maturity and also the also that the showboat, you, sh- you showboat when you actually show up, okay? They didn't show up. 21-7. That that's not that's not what we've seen and that's not what we expect. Hmm. That one is interesting. Speaking of interesting 
Sound bites. Jim Ursay, owner of the Colts, made an appearance in the locker room after the game. And he said something that makes you wonder, is he betting on these games? You know me. I'm a perfectionist. Guys, <laughs> I know you guys, and you got more in the tank, okay? Like 31 points, maybe, maybe, you know? <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. I'm sorry. I don't want to be a Scrooge. I'm not Scrooge. I love you guys. Love it. Love it. Yay. Yay. The over-under on points scored for the Colts was 30 and a half, allegedly. And they didn't quite get there, and so he made sure to say 31. I'm sure there will be an exhaustive league investigation to figure out what what's going on here. Uh, is our one of our owners gambling on these games? Well, we can't have that going on. Quentin Nelson, the all-pro guard out of Notre Dame, was awesome for the Colts, as was the rest of their offensive line and keeping them clean and keeping Jadavion Clowney and J.J. Watt off of Andrew Luck all game. And as I've told you guys before, and I'll tell you again, if you are not following Brian Baldinger on Twitter, if you're not watching his Baldy breakdowns, you are completely missing out because the way he does them, it's so great. It's not like your fancy high-tech software. Let's spotlight the left end here. Let's spotlight the middle linebacker. As you can see here, it's a cover two zone. He just watches the O-line go to work, and he has a field day with it. Here is what Brian Baldinger said about Quentin Nelson on Saturday. The very first play, the Texans said, we want Big Q to be tested by J.J. Watt and Jadevian Clowney. I'd say he passed the test. In fact, if you need a plumber, call Big Q. 1-800-BIG-Q. He'll fix the leaks. (laughs) The very first play. All right, here we go. Here comes Clowney after him, testing him on the third play. He's like, Whitney Merciless, let me take out the trash on Saturday night. I won't have to do it Sunday night. J.J. Watt, Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl. J.J., where's the moves? You want to spin? Go ahead, spin on Big Q. Eliminated. All right, now, how about the reverse pancake, the reverse stack? There's one. I'll start counting them. Here comes Clowney. Here goes Mac. Mac's going for 25, just like his jersey says. Big Q doesn't stop. He doesn't stop on Clowney. He blocks him right off the page for crying out loud. (laughs) I love how he says, take out the trash on Saturday so I won't have to do it on Sunday. We have a neighbor out where I live who apparently, because they've got such a long driveway, up to their house, they leave their garbage can down by the street and they just bring their bags of garbage down in the back of their pickup truck or station wagon instead of bringing the can itself the, that the you know garbage truck picks up back to their house. So, of course, one day there's a dog, a loose dog rooting through the garbage down on their, you know, uh, at the mouth of their driveway on like a Tuesday. When, when it shouldn't be trash day, and we're like, what the hell's going on? We found out, yeah, they're too lazy to bring their garbage can back up. So they just bring their bags of garbage down to the street. Ridiculous, but that's neither here nor there. The, the talk, we Baldy calling him Big Q, and I think that's probably his nickname. It, of course, reminds me of the great Dennis Leary in a stand-up bit about NyQuil. 
I love NyQuil, man. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's the best shit ever invented, isn't it, huh? I love the name alone. NyQuil, capital N, small y, big fucking Q. I love that fucking Q, don't you? What a great advertising idea. Put a huge fucking Q on the box. They'll get high and stare at it. The Q is talking to me. The Q is talking to me. NyQuil, NyQuil, NyQuil. We love you, you giant fucking Q. <laughs> Oh, I loved early Dennis Leary before he became a television and or movie star. So that Texans-Colts game was the last dance with Witt, Tess, and Boog for 2018-19. They will be back next year, according to ESPN. And as I've told you before, I am Tess neutral, if not slightly Tess positive. I put up with a little extra growling and overhyping from him because I think he calls a very clean game with good punctuation, good enthusiasm, good energy where it belongs, which is exactly the opposite of Al Michaels, who seemingly goes flat or lost or meanders at big, exciting parts of the game where you're watching going, oh, shit, look at that pass. Why isn't Al Michaels excited? What's his deal? Al Michaels. I think I think Tess, in addition to growing a beard, which I don't understand, but I'm sure it looks great on him and he's happy about it, I believe Tess has heard the criticism of him and has worked to improve his game and to change his game and to down tone down his game just a bit, which, if true, I have total respect for. Either way, I listen carefully, and I noticed during this Texans-Colts game a lot less of the Tess growl. He backed off of the most guttural growling Tess. And I think that's great because punching it up without the growl is just fine. The growl adds a layer of cheesiness that he doesn't really need. I swear to God I noticed that. I also noticed that he stopped saying Tess, Wit and Boog as he would come out of rejoins. Tess, Wit and Boog here in Oakland. He went to a more formal uh, Joe, Joe Tessator, Jason Witten, Booger McFarland. I like that. It's him acknowledging, you know what? We probably do sound a bit too chummy, a bit too cheesy. So let me go ahead and dial it back to being a bit more professional. ESPN also famously took Boog off the Boogmobile for this playoff appearance. And I think that makes sense because imagine you're paying a ton of money to go see a playoff game and then here comes the Boogmobile. Pshh! parking right in front of you down in the front row. I also think it leads to a worse broadcast. Now, I listen closely to Booger McFarland. I don't think he gives me much. I think people say Booger's good only because Witten is atrocious. And Witten remains atrocious and really does not do a good job of explaining anything. The best is still Tony Romo. Man, does he lay stuff out for you and he does it in the most efficient way possible. If he can do it in three words, he will. And it's the exact opposite of Aikman. I, I I don't know how I can cope with an Aikman game anymore because every play he analyzes, it's the same thing. If you were to chart Troy Aikman's tonality in terms of how the pitch of his voice, the pattern of his typical analysis, and the length of it, if you were to graph that almost like sheet music, it would look the same almost every time. And he doesn't give you much. 
He doesn't explain. Well, wait, why is that? You can show me what I just saw. I want to know why, for example. There was a play, and I kind of want to. I recorded all the games this weekend, and I kind of wanted to go back through them and and give what I think would be a master class in explaining who's good, who's not good, and here's why. So people just think don't think I'm just hating on Troy Aikman because, oh, he's a cowboy and you're a Redskin fan. Maybe I'll do it. It's, it'd be like a two-hour project, I think, all told. But it'd be good. It'd be instructive. Somebody has to do it, right? There was a play in the game. I think it – a play in the game in which a safety jumped in front of a pass and broke it up. And it was never explained as to, well, was he freelancing there? Was that his assignment? Was it a risk? Did the quarterback not see the man he left? Actually, I think it was Booger. It was not Troy. It was Booger in the Texans-Colts game where they show up interception and they're like, great job jumping the route here. And my only thought was, so was that him freelancing or was that in the scheme? Was that the quarterback not seeing, hey, This guy's jumping the route. I should hit the other guy over the top. I just want some explanation as to, you know, whose call is that? Is that part of the way they draw the defense up, or was that just him freelancing? Either way, I'll see if I can get some examples of all the analysts. But for the record, Romo's the best, I believe. Collinsworth is really good, and he has grown on me because I didn't used to like him. I would say by default... I guess Booger and Witten are better than Troy. I don't know. They don't annoy me as much as Troy does. So I guess they'd be third. And as far as play-by-play goes, because my man Tariko is out, I would say Buck, one, Nance, two, Tess, three. And, yeah, that's the uh, that's the four. Wait, wait, ABC, NBC, Fox, and CBS. Who am I missing? Uh Buck one, Nance two, Test three, and this is ridiculous. Why can't I remember who the fourth one is? ABC, or no, ESPN is Test, CBS is Nance, Fox is Romo, NBC. Oh, yeah, Al Michaels, and Al Michaels is the, uh, he's the fourth. Not an Al Michaels fan. You uh, know that already. Why don't we end on this today? Jane Curtin, remember her from SNL fame back in the 70s? shared a New Year's resolution recently, and that resolution is to, quote, make sure the Republican Party dies. I saw this on Twitter, and I was about to reply with the obvious and low-hanging fruit answer of, Jane, you ignorant slut. Now, for those that don't know, I'll explain in a second. But I'm getting a little better on Twitter knowing Yeah, someone's going to be pissed off about this. There will be plenty of people, I'm sure of them, many of them under the age of whatever, that would have no idea to the reference. How dare you call Ms. Curtin a slut? You don't even know her. She's doing... And that's where I said, yeah, you know what? I'll save it for the podcast. Why waste on Twitter what I can save for my own podcast? Jane, you ignorant slut, comes from a bit that was done on SNL. When she, when she used to wear a younger woman's clothes and would go back and forth with Dan Aykroyd on the news, in the news segment, in a little point-counterpoint. Here was what it sounded like back in the day. Damn times change, and so does the nature of relationships. 
People are reluctant to get married these days, and looking at divorce statistics, who can blame them? But the lack of a piece of paper does not necessarily mean the lack of a total commitment. A woman in this modern-day relationship may well give up all her own personal pursuits, as Michelle Marvin claims she did, to give her full support to her man's career. And Michelle Marvin is just asking that the courts recognize that reality. Dan, there's an old saying, behind every successful man, there's a woman, a loving, giving, caring woman. But you wouldn't know about that, Dan, because there's no old saying about what's behind a miserable failure. Here it comes. Jane, you ignorant slut. Bagged out, dried up, slunk meat like you and Michelle Triella know the rules. If you want a contract, sign on the dotted line. Oh, but let's all shed a tear for poor Michelle Triola. There was only testimony that she had sexual intercourse over 40 times with another man while living with actor Lee Marvin. But I suppose that sort of fashionable promiscuity means nothing to someone like you, Jane, who hops from bed to bed with the frequency of a cheap ham radio. But hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, and Michelle Triola, like a screeching, squealing, rapacious swamp sow, is after actor Lee Marvin's last $3 million. I guess what you and Michelle are saying is that when you're on your backs, the meter is running. Well, well please spare us, gals, and tell us the rates at the top. Then we can choose which two-bit tarts and bargain basement sluts to shack up with. <laughs> Oh, my God. Dried up slunk meat. And when you're on your back, the meter is running. Jane, you ignorant slut. That'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Download, subscribe, comment, and like. Tell three friends. Get the ZabeCast app. Send me feedback at Zabe at Yahoo.com. And don't forget, premium Zabe. Available, Zabe.com slash premium. Your five bucks a month goes a long way towards helping support the entire podcast. And you do get exclusive content. Now get the damn lights off your house, you trash, and we will see you next time. Bowl season has now come and gone, but don't beat yourself up if you missed it. It's still a great time to get in on the action with my bookie. You missed the 41 record bowl games to bet on, but we still have the national championship game, Jan 7, and that one's going to be a monster. It still is the most wonderful time of the year, and with the NFL playoffs coming up, oh yeah, you're going to want in. Make sure you are ready for the daily action by signing up at MyBookie today. They pay fast when you win, they're all about good customer service, and they have some wild props, which are always fun to bet. Where you bet is as important as who you're betting on, and if you want to make money, you got to go to MyBookie. I've dealt with them all season, but don't take my word for it. Check them out yourself. You'll be satisfied. Join now. My bookie will offer a 50% deposit bonus to make sure you've got a nice bankroll to start 2019. Use promo code ZABE when you deposit to activate the offer. That's promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha Bravo Echo. At my bookie, you play, you win, and you get paid.